welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest with a unique story on how they got into cybersecurity as well as sharing advice on how they got into the industry. And so I'm really happy today on this episode to have my, my friend Eric Bellardo. Uh, does a lot of great stuff for the community, has spent many years in cybersecurity, has some great advice, and uh, been meaning to have him on the show and just I keep forgetting, you know, once you get over 50 something, it's, <laughs> you forget things sometimes, but, uh, finally things aligned and, and not anything on Eric's part on my part, but, uh, thanks for, for joining today, Eric. Thank you very much for having me. It's great. To, we've been on several streams and stuff before, but great to have you on my podcast. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you again for having me and the stars aligned today. So let's get to it. Sure. This is going to be a good one and uh, this will come out quick too. So that's, this will be great just in time for Friday. Uh, so why don't you, you know, some people listening to this podcast are new to the industry or may not have heard of you. Could you kind of tell us about yourself, you know, your background? Definitely. So again, thanks for having me here on the podcast uh, my name is Eric Blardo. I've been in the industry now for 32 years. I started in 1990. Um, my career started at the University of Massachusetts, um, supporting the cyber, the, actually at that point in time, it was the computer science laboratories. Finished there at University of Massachusetts, went into the DC area, worked for National Geographics in Gaithersburg for a couple of years, and then joined the military and was in the military for close to 10 years um, as a military intelligence analyst. And at that time, cyber did not exist in the military as, a, as an actual career choice. So... Military intelligence, signal core people that knew computers as computers were being introduced to the military, those are the people that got tapped to do the security. We were information assurance um, folks, and that uh, was the onus of me starting in what we call it the proper cybersecurity. And... Um, after I left the military, I moved back to the D.C. area, and for the first 15 years that I was there, I was working with government entities, uh, Department of Energy, uh, FAA, um, all the civilian agencies as they were working to build those processes of securing their systems. 
the last 15 years of my career, I've been in the private industry, um, in healthcare, pharmaceutical, um, network, power and energy, and manufacturing chemical, and now I am working with uh, Dell. So very cool and inter- interesting. You know how far back you started because some people may remember some of the first cybersecurity degrees were information assurance, and that was okay. not as technical then. And and one of the things that kind of reminds me of is uh, I don't know if yeah, I think you actually have the don't you have the NSA IAM certification? The NSA IAM, yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. interesting because that's kind of where everything come from, and it's really I took that when. I got that certification in 2002 when I was going through prepping for the CISSP, but I think it was really good information, even though you think even at that time it wasn't the most current stuff, but you know, when you're basing security on files, paper files, you know, you kind of learn, get an idea how security should be done across digital or paper. Yeah. And I was the, I think second or third cohort for the NSA IAM and it was very interesting because, you know, we we look at security and we look at um, the field of cyber. This is how I like to talk about it. It's the field of cyber. Um, and we need to get back to the basics. And what is it that we're doing here? And people get so wrapped around, you know, networks and firewalls and this and that. And... At its core, it's protecting the data, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. You know, everything else is how do we protect the data? Those are very great points. And one of the things to look at, too, for people listening on here that are just getting started pen testing or want to get into pen testing, sometimes people get too caught up on wanting root or domain admin or administrator When at the core of it, the crown jewels is the data. You may not have to have that level of access to get to it. Maybe it's a share that's open to anyone. So, uh, yeah, I think that's important information to keep in mind. Well, um, just recently, you know, five years ago, what was the what was the the big thing before uh, ransomware was open S three buckets. Yes, you didn't need to do anything technical to. It's open. It's there downloaded so it's fine where the data is you know in in investigations they say follow the money we should start a new trend saying follow the data you know that's that's what's going to be important that's what we're here for and we forget because of all that you know like we said in the field of cybersecurity, and we'll i guess we'll get to that but in the field of cybersecurity, there's so many different jobs and so many specializations and we need to start remembering that that security is a team sport and we are all trying to do one thing you know if you're on the red team you are trying to find the holes so that the blue team can patch them or the sec ops or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, somebody's patching, somebody's finding the holes. And then, you know, what are we, why are we doing that? Because we want to protect the data. Very, very good points. And, and I really like the, what you mentioned about working together. You know, sometimes, sometimes people on opposite ends of the, you know, the security spectrum 
red teamers or blue teamers, it's us against them. And, you know, we need to really know that it's best to work together. I mean, just the whole purple team concept is a great concept and a good way of doing things. Cause I know, you know, I've seen pen testers that were just real, really big on owning whoever they're testing or whatever, and not really uh, looking at the overall big picture, you know, and trying to do things the right way and, and collaborating. Correct. And again, security is a team sport. And one of the things that I think we're failing people is in, especially in the red team pen testing, you know, offensive operations is that we need to remember that you're doing these offensive operations to rattle the doors and windows so you know which ones are open. Okay, so your purpose in life is not to get rude, not to do this, not to penetrate and say, I just captured that flag. It's to write a report to say, look, at using our my adversary techniques, I found that you have this hole, this bug, this vulnerability, this you know, way into your network that's going to that you need to fix. And that's the whole point. Do the adversary techniques so you can find the things, so you can fix it, so that we're better secured. Yeah, that's good. And back to the collaboration thing, too. Uh, whenever you have that rapport built with the, you know, if you're a red team or, you know, work someone working offensive security, if you build a rapport with the defensive folks, it's going to make life a lot easier when they do realize it's a partnership that you're not just out to make them look bad. Yeah. And as a... You know, my career has been primarily on the blue side, GRC blue, you know, um, operations side of the house. Not because I didn't want to. I, I just found that I had a knack and a passion for the security, the blue side, the, you know, the protection, the sock, the, those, 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 that really excited me. So, but to your point about collaboration is I think that we need to look at these assessments, these pen tests, these yearly pen tests, these ongoing pen tests. From the blue side, there's always been this whole concept of, oh, here comes the pen testers to make me look bad. Well, let's change that. Let's let's say, yes, there's a pen test coming I need. I can use it for one to find out where my holes are, where my blind spots. What is it that we have to do to make this better? If we took that mentality, then there wouldn't be that adversarial situation between all the teams. And you know, as a CISO, as a leader, as a team leader, as a director. You know, when somebody comes and says, hey, I've got these vulnerabilities, I've got these things, think of the positive way of using it, saying, look, we found these things, now I can justify either more people or more technology or something, but it's targeted to the needs that we currently have. And if we start looking at a pen test as a positive side, then we're going to start welcoming those red teamers, those pen testers, you know, the, 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 the offensive operations, uh, sorry, offensive operators out there that are bringing in that other perspective that we, the blue side, just, just get blinders 
because, oh, we've got this and we've got that and we got this and these are my reports and these are my reports and don't touch my area. It's like, no, we're all here to collaborate. And, and you know, talking about the justification piece is interesting because I had a, a client once uh, there was, it was we had we're doing this pen test for this large international law firm. And we had like Monday through Friday to get the test done. So they had like five of us on site hammering away, trying to test things. But it was pretty interesting. Their, their CISO there, it came in and talked to us ahead of time, kind of pointed us to some of the vulnerabilities because what was happening is he wanted to get it remediated, but they couldn't get the budget. They wouldn't yeah. remediate. So the pen testers come in, we perform the pen test, having that third party or someone else saying, these are vulnerable, it needs to be fixed. It helps him build his case and helps him get the things he needs to to get remediated, whether it be budget, more people, or just even getting buy-in to patch or update a system. Yeah, and and the other thing you mentioned that that my red flag went up was Monday through Friday, two to five. You know, let's normalize doing a test in real con conditions because your adversary is not going to use off hours to do your tests. Your adversary is going to use every single second of the day. They don't have these rules of engagement to attack you. And yes, I understand why we need them uh, to protect you know, the operations of the business. But let's try to start making these pen tests more realistic. And remember, you know, the adversaries don't have all the different issues that we have. We have HR meetings, this, that, the other. You know, let's go ahead and start doing some more realistic testing. Yeah, and another good point about not having to test in off hours is, you know, one of the things you run into is if something does get taken down in the process of the pen test, then you got to call the on-call person to come in. Oh. Or maybe they don't get the ticket or whatever, the, the, the notification, and it doesn't get fixed. And people come in the next day, it's not working. So if you do it during business hours, it can be identified and fixed too. So there's correct. There's pros yeah. to that as well. So we've kind of mentioned both red team and blue team. You know, there's it's even like red team, there's more than just red team overall. There's different different disciplines within red team as well as blue team. Blue team, there's probably more diverse roles in blue team than there is when you figure when you factor in not only the defensive side compliance and all those other areas. So, you know, we need people in all areas of security, but everyone seems to want to be a red team or wants to be a pen tester, wants to get paid to hack. I mean, what do you think we should do? Cause I really think we need to encourage people in those other roles, let them see the other things. Because as you mentioned, you said there's other things that were interesting to you, but you found what you were passionate about and you and you were best with. So what's your well, kind of thoughts? You just, you just you just set me up a softball there because <laughs> you know that I have a passion for this. And one of the things that I say, and every single time somebody puts a microphone in front of my face, is we have a PR problem in the field of cybersecurity. And everything that I just said in that statement is important. The field of cybersecurity, okay? I very much dislike, to see how I said it, I, I put it 
you know, positive there. Um, I dislike when people say, hey, I want to learn to, to I want to learn cyber. Well, guess what? That's the same thing as saying, I want to learn healthcare. There's a doctor, there's a nurse, there's medical technicians, x-ray techs, you know, um, office, you know, medical office personnel, billing, all these different jobs in the field of healthcare. We have the same thing in the field of cybersecurity. Okay, and if we need to start talking to it about that, the field of cybersecurity, there's over 50 different specializations in the field of cybersecurity. You know, look at the NICE framework. There's all the jobs. You know, SANS has a great, you know, picture of all the different jobs. And we're doing a very bad job of telling people, but the only thing that people see on TV, on media, or, you know, is that hacker that goes, oh, wait a second, let me put a, a virtual firewall in, you know, two seconds and two people are typing on the same keyboard to make it faster. You know, that's what, what media shows, but we need to start normalizing the other jobs that we have out there. Make it make it sexy to be, you know, in blue team. Make it interesting. You know, there's jobs, there's like SOC analysts and forensics and malware that are just equally as exciting as, you know, the, the, the pen testing and the hacking and stuff. So when I talk to somebody, I say, look, first of all, Cybersecurity is not a job. It's a career field. Here are all the different jobs in this career field. There's the blue, which are the defenders. The red, which are the ones that are testing the defenses. I try to say it that way. The green, that's my own thing. That's GRC. And those are the ones that are doing the compliance, the risk, the, the, the governance of what we do. Then you've got the purple team who brings it all together and says, are we doing this? Are we doing that? Are we, you know, working together here? You know, we've got all these different areas that are equally as exciting. And you don't have to be overly technical to be in the field of cyber. You've got non-technical fields like security engineering. Uh, sorry, social engineering, and you've got GRC, which is, you know, you're starting to get technical, but it's a lot of compliance, risk management, um, governance of processes and programs. Uh, you can be a program manager. You can be a, um, a, a technical trainer. If you're a teacher, we need teachers in this field. We need people that can speak the language, um, that can communicate to our users, communicators, social media, you know, different, different jobs that are in here that are still cybersecurity. So we've got, again, we have a really bad problem of PR in the field of cybersecurity, and we need to fix that. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the, one of the things thinking about what you said, you know, the media or movies, really the only people you ever see are the red teamers, someone attacking, or instant response. You don't ever see much with the people, you know, doing maintenance on the firewall, setting up firewall rules and that. You see either someone hacking or either someone responding to a hack. Pretty much. And... You know, well, 
No, we we need to get a a good Hollywood producer to do a, a, an actual, you know, security yeah. security uh, a movie and make us make us all you know big actors. Yeah, maybe hopefully <laughs> with with what Alyssa Knight's doing, maybe she can help out in that area. Oh yeah, because she's doing got into the video production things and has a movie coming out soon too. So. Maybe Alyssa could help that. She didn't call me. Why not? No. <laughs> no, you're, you're just too good looking. They would they they wouldn't buy you. They think you're some Hollywood actor, you know. Oh. <laughs> here comes here comes Grandpa. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so yeah, what we we kind of got into this. Uh, so why don't we uh, kind of dis- discuss what your your uh, advice is for people that are wanting to get into the field. You know, what would you do? You know, someone's wanting to get into cybersecurity. How would they go about that? What would be your recommended approach? Well, again, it depends on, you know, I always talk about the different ways that people get into the field of cybersecurity. And while there's many ways of getting in, there's three main ways that people really do get in. The traditional college route, the certification route, and then the transition from, say, you're a network administrator or a system administrator, something, and you transition into the field. I'm not saying that those are all the ways to get into the field, but when you boil them down, it's either you went to college, you did your training or certification or boot camps, um, and, and or you transitioned from somewhere else. So when I see somebody that's hungry, that wants to learn, that really wants to be there, I always tell them, take a look at the different fields. See what interests you. See what you like so that you can come in doing something that you like. Um, And I always, and I'm sorry, Mr. Hacker Factory, Um, I always tell them, don't run to the red team, don't run to the hacking, because that's the sexy thing. Don't just do that. Learn what else is there. Because I know some people that have come in and they, you know, start to try hack me and they hack the box and CTFs and stuff. They get frustrated because that's probably not their, their path. Um, but then you introduce them to something else and you see their eyes light up. So the first thing that I do is I say, here's all the jobs. Look at all the jobs, research the jobs, reach out to people that are already doing these jobs in the industry and get that life in the day of, you know, talk to somebody. If you are really interested in vulnerability management, Okay, great. So what do you do? What's the tools that you're using? Nessus, Rapid7, OpenVos, you know, um, blah, 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 blah. All the other ones there, you know, Qualys, you know, use all the, and, and learn how to do those tools and see the, you know, I know a lot of people that have stayed in vulnerability management because they really love the, the configuration and doing all that stuff. But, but the bottom line is research. Like I said, there's 50 plus jobs out there and not all require a, you know, PhD in astrophysics to be, you know, this particular job. Or you might be better suited at communication, interaction, working with a client. And then there's some people that are 
not that inclined or neuro, you know you're the neurodiverse people that that are that are better suit you know that 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 have that passion or that single focus or something that's that's different or you might be super interested in that incident management and that rush that you get that e, I call them the EMTs of security you know the the alarms are ringing they're running to the fire and they're trying to figure out where the fire is you know and if we put it into that perspective it's going to get them interested to do incident management or sock operations or something like that i think that we just need to when somebody comes to us to say i want to go get into the field of cybersecurity great Here's all the jobs. Let's start blue, red, green, you know, all the purple and, you know, say, here's the things and here's the things that you can do to enter. These are entry level fields and look at these jobs, which one interests you, you know, and then you go and you start doing your training. But I think we very, very fast run to here's A plus, here's you know, sec plus, here's net plus, here's this, here's training, here's that. And I think as a education component, we're failing people because we're training people to tests. We are training people to certifications. I don't know how many people I know that come to me and say, I passed my A, my net, my sec, my CYSA, or CSA, whatever they want, however you pronounce it. Um, and then I put them in front of a computer and they don't know how to do anything or they don't know where they want to do, but they have the certifications, but they don't have the practical experience. Yeah. Th those are very good points. And e even though I would, would, you know, teach the offensive side and, and all that, I, one of the things I encourage people to do as well is to go out and find what you're interested in. Because one of the things I'll say for sure, not to discourage anyone, if you want to be a pen tester, be a red teamer, definitely do it. But one of the things I'll say is it's not easy and you don't have to do it right away. One of the things you can start off in some other area and what you're learning in those other areas can help prepare you to be a better pen tester. I know mm -hmm. if I didn't have my sysadmin background, it would have been a lot more difficult because as a hacker, you've got to understand the technology to be able to break into it. Correct. And that that's the whole point is you're, you need to learn how to build a door before you learn or build a lock before you know how to pick it yeah, you know, or the other way around. I need to know how to pick it so I can build a better lock. And that's where the teamwork goes. Teach me how you're going to break into this door. And then let me show you how I'm going to, uh, I'm going to build a bigger, better door. And then tell me how you're going to break that new door. And it's, it's a cycle. You know, every time we build something, we need to test it. And, you know, then we need to learn how to build it better. And then we need to test it again. So it's a big circle that we're doing all the time. Better technology, better techniques, better vulnerability finding, better fixing the vulnerabilities, you know. And if we start thinking again, like what we said at the beginning of the show is cybersecurity is a team sport. Definitely. And one of the things I wanted, wanted to, to see what your opinion was on your opinion on the subject is because a lot of people always ask this and I'm sure you've had people ask you. So what are your thoughts on people having to know how to code before they get into cybersecurity? Yikes. It really, 
Throw me in the deep end of the pool already? Okay. Um, okay. The answer, and I'm going to give you the consultant answer, it depends. Okay. The, but the bottom line is you do not need to know how to code to be in the field of cybersecurity. And I said it in a specific way in the field of cybersecurity. If you are a security developer, you definitely need to know how to code. If you are a red teamer, pen tester, if you're going down the red route, you want to know some coding so that you are number one, know how to build some scripts or something that's going to help you in your job. If you are in web app taste testing or application testing, you definitely need to know the codes that you're testing. But you do not need to know how to code if you are in GRC or, you know, you don't need to know, you know, as an assessor or as a firewall technician or a network security or a DLP or anything like that. IDAM, Identity and Access Management, we always, they're the, they're the redheaded stepchild of our, you know, uh, of our of security, but they're very important. The, but they have certain areas that need coding when they're installing IAM. And then you have the other side, which is the IAM uh, operations and stuff like that. They don't need to know how to code. So again, that was a long-winded um, discussion of, you don't need to, you do not need to know how to code to be in the field of cybersecurity, in the field of cybersecurity. Specific jobs may require it, other jobs don't. Good advice. And one of the things I want to interject to is, you know, there's a lot of these roles that it may help you to learn it, but you don't have to know how to code to, to start out. Because one of the things about how offensive side of things have evolved before tools like Metasploit and Burp Suite. There was a lot of things you had to write scripts for and code. And with those mm -hmm. tools, it makes it easier. You don't have to do it. So not discouraging anyone from not learning how to code or script. Maybe it's something you learn down the road or start why, but it's not, don't let that stop you. I see a lot of people that are wanting yeah. to be pen testers. Well, I'm going to learn Python before I start. No, you need to start learning no. pen testing. Do the, that later on along the way. That's that's so true. And don't let it stop you. I mean, like I said, I've been in this field for 32 years. My first two languages that I learned were Pascal and Fortran 77. Tell me if anything's written in any of those two languages. Um, you don't need, I mean, I'm still learning. I, I still do my my Python and JavaScript and the side just to keep myself, you know, at least I know how to do two plus two, you know, X equals two plus two. So, you know, I'm good to go there. Um, but again, you do not know, you don't need, you don't need it in certain areas. And you're right, when we started everything, you had to code all your exploits, you had to code all your, um, you know, all your processes. If there was no tool to look at logs on the blue side, we had to get, you know, Perl and 
and, and try to parse these long CSVs. So we needed to know, you know, something. And we all had in our, in our, in our books, in our bookshelves, you know, 24 hour to learn Perl or to learn Python or something like that. And we needed it, but now there's so many tools that you really don't need to know. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, to mention that because uh, for for folks new to the industry or just trying to get in, Perl used to be the predominant scripting language back in the day, before Python really took off. It was the language that was what everyone was using. Yeah, and all, one of the things I was curious about, you remember Delphi? Oh, okay, yeah, yes. yeah. It was object oriented. It was object oriented, uh, it, object -oriented uh, Pascal. Yeah, was that the first? Oh, Jay. Oh, oh object I don't oriented. think it no. was, but it, I think they were trying to extend the shelf life of Pascal. I think maybe, yeah, because you can oh. do like the GUI front ends with it, the, the IDs and all that stuff to yeah. build out your apps and stuff. My first program was in punch cards. Oh, cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, so and that might be that might be good to to tell your audience why is it called a why do we patch computers? Because initially, when we did it in punch cards, if we made a mistake, we put a little piece of white tape on the card. And that's what a patch was. Ah, that's something that I wasn't aware of. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Always learn something from your shows. And that's a, good, that's a good one to go to know. So we've covered a lot of good stuff here. But one of the things we want to make sure we save plenty of time for is to talk about your organization. So uh, Eric started a, an organization, Riasis, that is trying to help some un underrepresented people. You know, there's such a huge skills gap in the industry and we need to invite everyone in. You know, there's been a lot of women's groups out there and other groups like that. But uh, why don't you share about your group and the, you know, kind of the uniqueness of what, who the, the specific groups that you're trying to help. Yeah. Thank you. So um, about a year ago um, I was approached by a couple people that said, Look, you know, we were in different orga different orga different uh, orgs. You know, we were at a DefCon or we were out at this you know conference, and I only saw very few minorities represented: Hispanics, Latinos, Latinas, Latinx. And I did some research, and the Aspen Digital Group did a, a presentation to Congress. And they said in the field, the representation of Hispanics, Latinos, and Latinas were at 4%. And that kind of lit a fire and started me thinking in 32 years, you know, the first 20 years of my career, I was the only one that looked like this. You know, I'm originally from Puerto Rico. And I said, look, we need to do this. If it's 4%, 5%, even, you know, 10%, we need to do something to bring in more of that diversity of thought. It's not about, you know, bringing in more, more people of color or more of this. It's about equality. It's about forming teams that are diverse in thought because we all think a little bit different and because Cybersecurity is a team sport. You want to have somebody that thinks this way or, you know, a woman or a neurodiverse, neurodiverse person or, you know, a 
person from, you know, European and, you know, you, you want to have this diversity of thought. But if we, if we have a homogeneous type teams, you know, we start kind of supporting each other and we miss those things. So that's why we started Raices, to bring in more Hispanic, Latinos, Latinas, and Latinx into the field of cybersecurity. I am extremely proud to announce that as of this week, we just opened our ninth city chapter. So now we have city chapters of Raices that are you know, doing monthly meetups and bringing in more people. We're going to be doing more things with the community, but we have chapters in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in Florida, California. Um, we just opened a new chapter in Milwaukee, of, you know, and so we have all over and we're planning on about 10 more by the end of this next month. So it's a great um, organization that's built on the four pillars of networking, job support, education, and job resources. So that's what we're trying to do is enable people, and not just not just the Hispanic, Latino, Latina, and Latinx, but all our allies, you know, to be part of this this community, this familia, you know, like we say, the familia. And we have we have peoples of all types into our Discord community, our city chapters, um, and we're just trying to bring in more people and educate them and teach them that there is a path for you, that there are people that look like you out there. Yeah, that's that's very good. That's great that you're doing that because yeah, there were so many other different groups that had people helping or whatever. So that's good that you're doing that. You need to get some chapters in Texas because there's a lot of folks here that could benefit from that. We are the next chapter that's being formed here that we're still looking for volunteers. So if there's anybody in the San Antonio area, please contact me. Um, but we're going to start a San Antonio, Austin chapter, a Houston chapter and a Dallas chapter. If you can get one in Dallas, I'll help out whoever runs it. I'll hold you to that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah, I would definitely do that. Wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome that you're doing that. And, and just seeing the growth has been amazing. It's been cool to see on LinkedIn all the new uh, people running the different chapters, the different people you're bringing in. So that's that's a good thing. And one of the things, too, for anyone that is a you know part of different groups you should definitely be parts of groups while conferences are a good way to network these different meetup groups are great ways different organizations yeah. like that are great ways to network i mean my second pen testing job came through dallas hackers association uh i got my job at us bank through through an uh a wasp uh dallas chapter meeting the person presenting was working there they were looking for pen testers so i passed on my resume and got an offer so it's you know, once you get you network enough, you really don't have to put out a lot of applications and just blindly applying. You get out there, you know, you have people referring you and and helping you get in the door. And that's that's a big part of our foundational concepts is having that network, that that familia that everybody you know knows each other is there are times that you're in these organizations or these groups and you know, Phil 
Phil, you and I are members of a lot of similar organizations. And you don't have to be part of just one. You know, mm -hmm. you can be part of many of them. And, uh, you know, when somebody says, hey, I am looking for a new insert position here, you know, new pen tester or a new leader over here, a new project manager or a new cyber hunt or cyber threat guy or gal, you know, and you say, hold on, I know Phil, let me call Phil. Well, he's not in the market right now, but that's a different thing. Okay. And, you know, but you call the people and you say, ah, I know somebody, or we go into the, our little groups and say, please help me. We're trying to find a vulnerability assessor or we're trying to find a, you know, network person or something. And some three or four people will say, Hey, I know some good candidates here. And for that, we have various associations that are uh, aligned with Raices Cyber um, that are in our community or discord and, They are organizations that are job sourcing or organizations like CyberSN, and we have a new organization that we just partnered last week, which is called Chamba, which is a job sourcing organization for Latinos and Latinas um, and Latinx. So they're in our Discord, and having that community, having those people that you know, having that network, having those job resources right there, you know. That's just the way that we're trying to help to bring that, you know, plus on top of that, the education component that we're doing with the study groups and, you know, study for different areas, learning different areas. We have rooms for blue team, red team, purple team, um, OSINT, uh, the different type of, of, of areas in our field. So people can come in there and talk and, um, Another thing that we're doing is we're starting a weekly talks with experts, community experts in our Discord and our YouTube channel where our members are going to hear from people in the industry that are going to, you know, shake hands with these folks. Um, so we're trying to bring, bring the field of cybersecurity down to the masses. Very good. That's an, an awesome miss, mission you got going there. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share before we end? No, again, thank you very much for having me here. And if somebody's still listening at 41 minutes, um, <laughs> I want to invite you guys, all our allies, if you know of anybody that's Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latin X in the field, Please have them go to www.raicescyber, R-A-I-C-E-S, cyber.org. And for those listening, uh, we'll be sharing that uh, URL in our show notes as well as, as Eric's social uh, networking information. So his Twitter and LinkedIn. All you got to do is put my name. I show up everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll be sharing that. So it'd be easy for you to find him and, and get involved if you can. This is a this is a great cause. Just like Eric mentioned, you don't have to be a member of just one thing. I mean, you know, we help out in different areas. And so that's really a good way. Uh, not only can you help other people, you can help yourself too. The more people, you know, don't forget, find jobs. volunteer or donate. If yes. you don't have time, you know, have your time with the money. 
we need all the help we can get. Well, thanks. Thanks again for joining, Eric. Thank you very much for having me, Phil. It was wonderful to break bread with you and talk for this time this afternoon. So, I hope that、uh, your listeners got something out of this talk.、Um, and again, thank you very much for having me. And thanks everyone for joining. And we'll see you on the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.